Hello, hi, hello, hey, hey everybody, hi, hi everyone. Welcome, welcome, welcome back to the Emo Social Club podcast, middle of the day edition. I am Brian. I'm Lizzie. And uh, the reason that we are, we're recording this really early compared to our other streams uh, on a Tuesday at 3 p.m. Chicago time because of the fact that we have a guest today who is uh, in the middle of the night in the UK. Uh, Lee, why don't you Howdy. say hi? <laughs> hi, everyone. Uh, Lee, uh, first, I just so you're 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 in Northern Ireland, and can you explain what Northern Ireland is to everyone? <laughs> so I'm from Belfast, Northern Ireland, uh, which is a part of the United Kingdom. It's the north of the island of Ireland, um, but it is part of the UK. So it's UK laws, UK lockdown procedure, all that kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, it's a, that's a contentious subject. That's a whole other podcast, I think. <laughs> yeah, I don't necessarily want to get into the history of the UK and Northern Ireland. But I feel like we would definitely need charts and graphs oh, and like definitely. a PowerPoint of presentation. Yeah, a whole I, I, I'm 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 out. grossly un, un underprepared for that. I'm really sorry. <laughs> that is totally fine. I don't want to get into it, but I've already had a discussion this week with somebody very close to me who lives in my apartment and is dating me about where <laughs> the location of Northern Ireland is and why it is part of the UK and why isn't it, it isn't part of Ireland. And I'm like, I. I I, I I don't know I don't know how to help you. <laughs> it's not, it's I don't not, know how to help you. I, I don't know how to help. Like I'm like it just it just is. I I don't know. I I think the the easiest way to summarize it for me is is that if somebody from the United States asks me where I'm from, I say Ireland because uh, explaining that is a real conversation killer, especially if you've just met the person. Um, so that, yeah, there you go. <laughs> but like, there's a lot of politics involved with it. Everyone. Yeah. Yeah. Wouldn't you? So if somebody's like, "Oh my God, I love I love Dublin," wouldn't you be like, "Ah, but I'm not from Dublin." I smile and nod politely, <laughs> like you know that's the thing. Uh, and it's you know the people I've been friends with for you know nearly ten years that still assume that I'm flying home to Dublin. Uh, you know, if I'm flying back from a tour or whatever, and I'm like. Yeah, no Belfast this time, where I actually where I actually live. Different different part of the country entirely, different part of the island entirely. Uh, but you know, we'll gloss over that. It's fine. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, okay, that's our geography lesson for this <laughs> specific podcast. Um, so we we have you on because you are a a friend of the pod, a friend of friend of friends of the pod, and also uh, I met you because you were doing sound. You're a sound engineer for the band Pale Waves, uh, correct? Who I haven't probably not stopped talking about <laughs> since I found out about Pale Waves. Uh, as I posted on Facebook, I'm like, it's pretty much one of the only bands that started after 2009 that I actually listened to because my musical tastes are always way back from the early 2000s. Uh, I get that. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm definitely like, uh, you know, a, a certain amount of years behind what's kind of going on right now, you know, so I, I'm, I'm, I'm okay with that though. You know, I'll find, I'll, I'll find things at my own pace. You know what I mean? Right, right. Yeah. So, uh, uh, why don't you give us a little bit of an introduction into like what it means to be a sound engineer, uh, sort of your history. Cause I know you've obviously worked with a lot more bands than just, uh, pale wave. So, uh, maybe give us a little bit of an introduction to yourself as far as your work history 
This is an interview, by the way. Cool. Well, <laughs> I, I mean, interview, I mean. <laughs> all right. So, so what are your dreams and aspirations yeah. in this job? Where's your five-year goal? Um, oh, God. oh, God. I mean, I have been thinking about that in all honesty. We can talk about that later, but yeah. Cool. Um, <laughs> so uh, I'm Lee. I'm from Belfast. I, I spend most of my time touring now um, as, a, as a live sound engineer as a front of house engineer for the audience or a monitor engineer for the band. Uh, it depends on the artist or who I'm working for. Um, I've also toured quite extensively as a, as a technician, just a general audio technician supporting other engineers on bigger tours. Um, you know, and it's a very team effort kind of thing. Um, and I've, you know, I've done some system, t- uh, system teching, which is more sort of specific to the, to the sound system itself, whether that's for, concert touring or festivals um so you know the kind of the kind of idea with working in this industry is is that you you can't it's it it pays to have a good grasp of kind of everything you know um so that you can lend your hand to any of those kind of uh skill sets if and when required um but in terms of like touring like where i'm happiest and most comfortable is is mixing um but it didn't start out that way. I, I, I'm a drummer. I, I, I started playing drums when I was 11 years old. And I, all I wanted to do whenever I was that age was just be a drummer. Like I was the, the, you know, the five and up, you know, five foot, whatever with shoulder length, blonde hair, the world's biggest Travis Barker fan. Um, you know, uh, I could barely see over my drum kit. Like my cymbals were like nine feet tall and my drums were all flat. Like I'll try and find some photos, you know, it's, um, I, and I was like, yeah, you know, I it was, I, you know, I bumbled through playing piano and I was like, piano is not cool enough and whatever. And I was like, uh, I, I want to play guitar. That's what I really want to do. And I convinced my parents, I was like, okay, you know, uh, I want to play guitar. And they're like, yeah, but you know, you didn't really give piano a try. So we don't want to like give you another instrument. <laughs> uh, so and I got a guitar and I, boy, I was bad and I never got any better. I was like really bad. And, uh, that was really disappointing. I think that was one of the first things, you know, in my life that I can remember where I was like, I've put so much effort into like get, trying to get good at this thing. And I, I'm just not good at it. And I like, I was like really bummed out. I was like, Oh, maybe music's not for me. And I, uh, and I'm not going to give you my life story through this, but it's kind of an interesting uh, trajectory because, um, with uh with drums where i kind of ended up i literally went to a free trial drum lesson and i could just play drums like it was just completely just natural Mm. like sort of aptitude you know the physicality of it for me was really it made a lot of sense and i did and that's i was like cool right i'm a drummer now that's what i'm going to do for the rest of my life and i you know i was like i'm going to be a session drummer i'm going to go and study in london and you know do all these things um and then i got I got signed at uh, the band that I was in got signed um to like a very small sort of production deal and I think I was about 15 like I was pretty young and um that was my first sort of experience of working in the industry uh in terms of like having to deal with like contracts and producers and and all that kind of stuff and my eyes were just like wow there's a whole other side to this that I never knew about so um and that band kind of fizzled out all the guys in the band that I, you know, that I, that I was in the band with were all a good couple of years older than me. Um, one of them was training to be a, a barrister. Um, one of them went on to study engineering. One of them is a now a mechanical engineer. And I was a kid still at school. So they were like, 
they did their own thing. Um, and then the band kind of fell apart. So I um, was like, okay. And during this time, I was like, I'm really interested in like, you know, whenever we were doing shows, I was really interested like what the sound engineer's job was. Um, but I had no real sort of like, I couldn't put two and two together. I was like, well, I show up with my drums and some mics go on it and I do a gig and I go home. And that was all it. That's what, that's all it was to me. Um, but as I started recording more, I got really interested in how sounds were created, um, the process of making a record to like, physically being sent MP3s or a CD. I actually found a load of CDs from my old band when I was clearing out my office a couple of days ago, and I, you know, I don't even have anything to play a CD on now. Like that's kind of where we are now. Um, around that time when everything went kind of south, I was uh, I was still at school. I was studying my A levels, so I don't know what that is for you. I was like. 16 17 like what what were you in uh, like in... junior senior in high school like the last two years of high school yeah so i was a yeah so i was a junior and um i started getting really into um uh a couple of things i, I still studied music the whole way through um even though i I can I can read music and I can read score, but I've never played like a melodic instrument to a high level. So I you know I can read score, but get, you know I couldn't play it on anything. Um, I got really interested in business. I got really interested in uh, media in terms of video, art, sort of, and kind of you know all in and IT. And at the same time, I was like, well, maybe I could find something that's going to kind of put all of that together. And that's kind of where I ended up. So I was either going to go and study law because that's where I was going, like the rest of my bandmates at the time, or I was going to go and study uh, sound engineering. And I chose sound engineering and I don't regret it at all. Um, um, but uh, yeah, I had at the time, so I, you know, I, I finished school, I went to university, college, <clears throat> uh, uh, uni, and, I, and the whole, I, I was there for three years. I moved to Liverpool. And that was a big sort of change for me. Just, you know, I grew up in a kind of a smallish seaside town, you know, uh, in the southeast coast of Northern Ireland, um, you know, where like the buses finished at 930. Like if you wanted to leave this, you know, the town after 930, you had to like walk or, you know, get a cab. Um, so moving to a big city, it was like, ooh, you know, oh, right. Okay. You know, th this is like in proper independence and whatever. And I started like uh, going to more gigs and uh, I was you know, working with artists um, while I was at university. And for basically for two and a half years, I had zero aspirations to be a live sound engineer. I was absolutely terrified of the prospect of working a gig. Like really, like I was like, no, I don't want to do that. I just, I want to like, I want to like work in the studio where if like, you know, if I, if I screw up, I can just, you know, put the talk back on and be like, sorry, the computer crashed. Can I, can we do that again? You, you can't do that live. So. Is that why uh, you always told me that in my, my old band? <laughs> like, oh, sorry, it's the computer. It's like, no, I just. Maybe, I maybe they told listen. you that because they were like, man, this kid sucks. <laughs> no, I think I was fine. I think they, they hated just the music we were making. <laughs> They're like, oh, you guys are performing this really bad music very well. <laughs> maybe or or maybe it was just genuinely a computer crash like you know they do happen you know Let, let's be honest here um i'll have faith in it, it it's, it's i'm plenty of years separated from it where i'm not worried that like oh man they still hate my band it's like i, I hate that band too Whatever, who cares amazing um but yeah so like 
I, as I said, I had no, no real aspirations to be, to to work in like gigs, like live sound. Uh, And that was just, that was due to like the fear of the unknown and kind of being out of my comfort zone. Um, And in the last like eight months of my, you know, of studying at, at college, I was like, oh, actually, I don't think I'm going to be able to sustain a living doing the doing the studio thing you know because i i you know i made some friends that were graduates and i was you know i was looking up to these people that had you know that were like top of their game when they left you know university and they were only just kind of starting to like really get a good foothold in the industry um and you know like i'd heard stories of people like living in tents you know in the middle of soho in london you know where all the post-production houses are because they couldn't afford to live in london so they lived in a tent like that that you know that kind of stuff like you know these people were like dedicated to like getting into the industry um and uh at the time i started working um when i when i whenever i was on like a summer holiday i would move back from liverpool to belfast back to my parents um and I had a little studio at home, which is kind of where I learned and made all the mistakes that I did before I moved to study this for real. Um, and I was bringing bands over from the UK uh, that I was working with to like my summer, you know, studio house, you know, on the uh, at the beach, you know, in Ireland. And they were like, oh, my God, this is amazing. They were getting like... <laughs> It they were like, getting this sounds like a trip advisor like come have a nice like experience by the seaside while we record <laughs> your next album i mean that's probably what i tried to tell them but in reality it was them sleeping on like blow up mattresses and like tra- tracking guitars for 18 hours a day um the thing was for me is is that i was getting time like because time is you know valuable when it comes to like working in studios and live touring productions, you know, you're, you're trying to do as much as you can in the smallest amount of time possible to make it sort of economically viable. But um, so I was like, well, you know, if you want to come and live with me for like two weeks, you know, don't have to pay any money to like stay there. And if you can pay me like a small amount of money for the, because you're going to come out of this with like an EP or an, an album, you know, everyone wins. And then I was able to use that as my, um, my sort of like submittable hand in stuff for my course. Mm. So it was kind of win-win. And uh, I got a call from um, a guy I knew in Belfast, a guy called Rocky O'Reilly, who has the best name in the world. He's a producer, um, singer, songwriter, mixer, engineer. Like he's, he's one of the most, brilliant people I know. Um, and I consider him a really good friend and he's kind of the reason in, in a lot of ways that I'm doing what I'm doing now. Um, he was the catalyst for me moving back to Belfast, me starting to work with some of the bands that he was working with that then took me out on the road as an engineer. And then while I was out on tour with those bands, I met the other bands and then I worked with them and then I, you know, and it was just a snowball. Um, and if I hadn't have said, yeah, cool, I'm going to move back and I'm going to work in your studio. I don't know what I'd be doing right now in, in all honesty, like that, that's how, you know, sort of critical it was. Um, so I have a lot uh, to thank him for. Um, so yeah. And then, so I graduated in 2012 and it's now 2020. Um, I worked in that studio as a, uh, as a manager, staff engineer, um, you know, working with 
bands and uh, and mixing my own projects and stuff like that. Um, and then I got the call to go out and mix a band called And So I Watch You From Afar, who are a instrumental like post rock band from from Northern Ireland. Who at the time, before I was even into like recording and microphones, if you're gonna like literally break it down <laughs> to that level, um, I loved them as a band. And I was uh, so I worked as an assistant on one of their records. I then engineered or co-engineered rather uh, their the following record with Rocky. And they were both, you know, successful records in, in a couple of regards. Um, but on the second record, they were going to go out and tour and they didn't have an engineer. So they were like, well, look, you are, you know, young and impressionable. Um, do you want to do you want to come out and, uh, you know, mix us live? To which I was like, well, obviously, yes, I've never I've, I have no history as, as, a, as an engineer. Um, and they were like, yeah, but you know what you're doing and you know, you've, we, we know, like, you know, the music and that was really important to them that, that, you know, that there was, um, a good level of understanding of the musicality of, 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 of the band. Cause a lot of it is, it's very effect heavy, uh, and it's instrumental. So uh, realistically, like, so, you know, sound engineering 101, if you're going to mix a band live is, can you hear the vocal? Yes or no like if that that that's a it, that's a really good place to start yeah with them there was with them there was no vocals so i was like sweet i can do whatever i want like i can put like you know nine seconds of reverb on the floor tom if i want to or i can have like you know all this it was it was brilliant it was such a it was a it was a playground for me um but it was great and it it put me through my paces in terms of you know they toured really relentlessly of all shapes and sizes of venues across Europe. Um, but then we also went to places like we went to India, uh, to do some shows there. Um, which was for me like bar bar being like to France. And I went to Greece once as a, as a kid, I'd never really been out of the country that much. Um, so I was like, wow, I'm going to India to do shows like this is crazy. <laughs> um, and Again, that's a whole other podcast as well because there was like monsoons and people getting electrocuted and like it was crazy. But uh, while I was out there, I met a, another band called Dry the River and Dry the River really liked what I was doing with And So I Watch You. So they were like, hey, our front of house engineer is on his way out. Uh, would you fancy covering him for a couple of shows uh, while they were going out and supporting um, a band called Editors from the UK? I don't know if you've... If you've editors, you know. yeah. uh, great. They're a really good band, actually. Mm. Um, and... Uh, so I did those and then like, that's it. It's like, it was just this kind of, I, you know, I, okay, I'm a front of house engineer now. I, I quit my job at the studio, which was really hard to do because it was like my dream job. Mm -hmm. I went from being, oh, I want to be a drummer for the rest of my life. Um, to, I want to be a recording engineer for the rest of my life. And then I finally got there and then I was like, I've done this for two years and I'm quitting and I'm going to go and, and I'm going to go and live off my credit card for six months because I got no money. Yeah. Um, but I don't regret it at all. Um, and uh, I mean, yeah, so that's like, yeah, to mid sort of mid 2000s to kind of mid 2015 or whatever. Um, so yeah, that's kind of, that's my 20 something minutes summary of like the last, you know, 15 years or whatever. Uh, nice. So yeah. yeah so I'm interested in, oh, sorry. No, you go ahead, Lizzie. I'm interested to know why you um, wanted to study law originally, because that's quite a spectrum of difference of let me be an audio engineer or let me study law. Yeah, I, I think 
it stemmed from um I was really interested in how things were developing in the world with uh things like the formats of deliverables were changing so you have things like you know DVD and Blu-ray you had uh the iPod you had all this digital rights management kind of the, there was massive shifts in the in the sort of the the industry that I became kind of aware of um which re- realistically we all take for, for granted now um, but I think in like the mid 2000s, you know, I remember still burning CDs. Um, um, I, I didn't own an iPod until I was like 19. Um, I, I didn't, I didn't, I, weirdly, as somebody that's not a Luddite and I've owned every single iPhone, for example, since they came out, I never really understood the fascination with listening to music on the go. For me, it was like, I, I, I was still quite ritualistic about it. I kind of liked sitting in front of my computer and like chatting on MSN and listening to music. That was my thing. Um, but, uh, anyway, so the, um, there was, there was so much change in the industry and also that brief foray that I had with my band and like the first time I ever read a contract, I was like, all right, okay, this is really interesting. Um, so yeah, I was kind of like, oh, maybe I could go into like some sort of like media law. Um, and I was really interested in business. Um, but I had no real aspirations at the time to become an entrepreneur. Um, so I was like, yeah, I'm going to, you know, so I did some like kind of uh, taster kind of like uh, short course things that uh, my school was offering to kind of give people an idea of what studying certain degrees would be like. Um, and the reality is, is that what I do for a living isn't taught until you are an adult, really, if that makes sense. You know, where I, where I grew up, you had no music technology um, sort of uh, junior, senior year, you know, uh, we, we call them A-levels, um, unless you went to like a vocational college uh, in which that was the only thing that you studied. Um, so uh, I still wanted to study music. I still wanted to study uh, IT because I'm, I'm an IT person. Like I'm a, you know, that's my thing. Um, so I just decided to study a range of subjects so that would kind of give me some flexibility down the line. Uh, but yeah, law was kind of where I was going and that seems crazy now because, uh, I, uh, I wouldn't know where to start really. Um, but you know, and we'll, we'll kind of, I guess, t- touch on this a little bit later, but when you are, uh, touring for a living, you're in a lot of ways, you're kind of your own business. So you've got to do, there's a lot to it beyond just, um, mixing the show that's the easy bit you know and that's that that only occupies 90 minutes of your day it's the other you know 22 and a half hours that goes into that plus everything else you know so um yeah but yeah in answer to your question really i i I don't know why law but it that that's kind of where it went so yeah i'm interested in that though because i i you know imagine that like I mean, obviously you are a behind the scenes person in music. So I could imagine like, it's like, I want to do all the stuff that's behind the scenes of actually being on the stage rather than like worrying about like, I gotta, I I don't know. As a drummer, I could imagine you're like, I really just don't want to carry my drums every day. Yeah. That, that was a factor. I mean, (laughs) you know, I, um, we used to have these like terrible, like our public transport system used to have these like terrible buses that, you know, the door would blow open, you know, if, if the bus drove over 40 miles an hour and, you know, they didn't have, they didn't have heaters. And, uh, but the one good thing was, is that I could carry my hardware, my hardware bag for my, for my drums, a snare drum and a cymbal bag over my back. 
And I would like literally like trips this stuff, like, you know, in and on and off the bus, like twice a week for band practice, you know? And yeah, there was probably a, there was probably a time when I was like 15 or whatever. And I'm like, yeah, I don't want to do that anymore. Um, because in reality, like I know session drummers in London that are like, you know, hauling their own gear in and out of Ubers, you know, from like studio session to studio session to gig. So, and I have a lot of respect for them for doing that. Uh, but, um, yeah, no, you touched upon a good point there. Um, all I wanted to be was like, oh, I'm the drummer. I wanted, I wanted that sort of lifestyle of like playing live and being on a stage. And then at some point, I don't know whether I kind of like wanted to take like a sabbatical from it, or maybe I got a little bit like prematurely jaded. But I didn't. I was like, no, I don't. I actually want to be, you know, somebody that makes these things happen. You know, for other people. Um, I do miss the idea of like being a, you know. Uh, a drummer for a living, you know, playing in a band. Cause that is, that was what I wanted to do first and foremost, really. Um, you know, I still play, I, you know, I'm a lapsed drummer, you know, like I, you know, I haven't, I haven't quit. I still own a kit. Um, yeah. and I, and I, you know, if, if the drummer in a band that I'm working with has gone out for lunch, I might, you know, just have a little, you know, go on their <laughs> drum kit just to, and then they kind of run in. No, won't kill him. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's actually funny. Um, Kira from Pale Waves uh, got a new kit on uh, the. I think it was the last time I saw you. Uh, it was in. It was somewhere in the US. I can't remember, but. Um, uh, uh, did, did, uh, wait, did you come? Yeah, you didn't come to any of the seventy-five shows, right? Uh, I came to uh, the nineteen seventy-five show. In, oh, uh, Chicago. Yeah. Yeah, you were the. Yeah. You're the United Center, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, the, yeah. yeah the, so yeah, the kit that um, that Kira had for that tour was like this brand new, really nice custom DW, and uh, I think it was like on day two, um, we we set up and we had loads of time, and it was basically like a clear stage. So I was like, I'm gonna have to go in this drum kit, and uh, it was great, and I had so much fun. And then Kira was like, I heard my drums, and I was like, Who's playing my drums? She kind of came all the way down from the dressing room and was just <laughs> stood there, just like, What are you doing? And I'm like, I'm just just playing your drums and she's like oh cool that's cool make sure it sounds fine it's you know, it's, <laughs> just a quick sound it's not it starts with the source the drums have to sound good so yeah let's yeah. change that from the from the vocalist who cares about the singer the drummer, the drummer. can you hear the kick can you hear the kick drum great you got a gig that's all that's all that's all you need kick drum and vocal it's pretty actually yeah pretty much <laughs> sometimes when i would like when my old band would play we would be at a place where there was no like we, we couldn't mic everything and some to a certain extent you didn't need to mic like the guitars or that and we didn't have a bassist which is even better uh we would literally only sound check vocals and kick drum oh my and it's God. like hey, as long as you got those mics and they sound good like pretty much all right yeah i mean with that band and so watch you um that i i worked with we we did loads of i mean they their back line was pretty hefty um and uh, they, they were just a loud band and when you have no vocals um that because that is the thing that you know the smaller the venue that it's really difficult it's just basic physics it's really difficult to get you're trying to amplify the the quietest acoustic signal and generally that's a voice versus like a you know a marshall four by twelve uh cabinet so um yeah it was it was a shock to my system when I started mixing a band with a vocalist because uh, I was like I've been getting away with with literally like uh, scot free you know yeah. with you know no sort of like 
um, with no issues. And you get into a, a workflow and a mindset, and then it's like, oh, I've got, oh, I've got five vocalists. Oh no, like I've, I'm gonna have to, I'm gonna have to work really backwards, and kind of reteach myself like how to actually mix a band with, with vocals and whatever. But, um, but yeah, I've done, I've done those shows where it's like, you know, throw a 58 in the kick drum, and that's it. Um, with and so watch you, and literally like the shows were great. Like they were like kind of more like, uh, like house show kind of vibe anyway you know they were just it was just like really it like really kind of edgy on the edge like things were going to fall over and it, it was it was cool it was great you know you don't really get that the bit the, the the sort of the bigger the show um you do you lose touch of that kind of like um that feeling of like things falling over and you know exploding and catching fire like that is that you know these are all things that I've kind of witnessed myself you know so uh, so yeah um, uh, yeah it's a it, 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 yeah going from being a drummer to wanting to be a lawyer to wanting to be a sound engineer is a is a strange it's a strange boomerang but yeah. here here we are <laughs> uh, so let's talk a little bit about bands because. Well, I think that show at United Center, it pretty much was the first time that I had seen the 1975. And I only went because Pale Waves was playing. Pale Waves being, like, at the time, like, one of the bands I was listening to constantly. And I'm like, I don't know if I'm going to stay for 1975, but I just wanted to come and, like, check this out and have a good time. And now this podcast is basically just doing 1975 fan service, like, out of nowhere. <laughs> and we're just like, oh, wow, fucking love that band now. And it's like, we need to... Yeah, when you came back, you're like, I love the 1975. And I'm like, well, this is a dramatic turn. Yeah, I was upset about myself. At first, I was just like, I don't know. I, I Music's fine. It's it's cool. And then listening to Pale Waves, I was like, oh, well, yeah, I guess they sound like the 1975, but I'm also like, I like this music much better than the 1975. And now I'm just like... No, fuck it. They're both the greatest bands of all time. <laughs> I, I, th- I think that you know they're they're both. Uh, just speaking about like the two the two bands you you mentioned and you know we're all, we're all talking about. I think they're both doing some really cool things now. Um, the the thing that was really, um, I mean, I've I've been sort of around the nineteen seventy five since they were playing tiny clubs um some some of my friends from home uh were in bands that were touring uh and the 1975 were supporting them um this wasn't even that long ago um and uh you know so you'd have like two bands from northern ireland and then the local opener was the 1975 uh which is which is crazy to think now and Anytime I've ever spoken to any of my friends in those bands, they're just kind of like, yeah, it's pretty crazy what can happen in like, whatever, not even 10 years. Um, and, you know, it, their show is, a, is an audio visual treat. You know, it really, it's a show, you know, it starts and it ends and it has an arc. And, I, you know, it's, it's, there's a real element of theater to it, which I really like. Um, and I'm saying that as a sound engineer. You know, I, my, my primary sort of focus uh, as an engineer is to make things sound as good as possible and to work with an artist to sort of deliver, a, an art, you know, sort of a, uh, what's the term I'm looking for? To deliver, uh, it's a product, really. You know, mm-hmm. people are paying money to see this and hear this. So it's like, 
everyone needs to be on the same page. You know, do you want to sound like your record or do you want to sound like a lounge jazz version of your record? Like, let me know because, you know, we can do either way. You know, uh, sometimes people just are just like, you just do what you do because we know what you do and that's fine. And they give you total, like, uh, total carte blanche. But sometimes it's like, on this bar, we need this. And then 16 bars later, we're going to do this. And then, you know, and you, it's a very uh, mathematical kind of thing. It's a very, very different kind of experience. So um, stuff like in the middle of songs. You're not just, I mean, I, I'm coming to you from somebody who's mostly only played at like bars and small venues and occasionally the bar and grill combination. Oh. And, <laughs> uh, so they're, they're, they're pretty much alike. We'll do a sound check and then I'll be there throughout the night to like, play music in between your sets or like help you get the microphones out of the way when you're done. But it's, it's like a, you're set up, you're going, we don't really give a fuck what you're doing, but are you, you're like really like in depth working with them, like in each song, like changing things up that much. Yeah. I mean, um, I, I, you know, I joked about it earlier on, but I, I am a firm believer in trying to get the source you know, whether it's a, a, a guitar amp or a drum or whatever to like sound as good as possible and to sound kind of like what the artist or the individual band members wanted to sound like. Um, I think one of the trappings that I fell into even whenever I started out was is that I was mixing bands the way I wanted the, wanted the band to sound like, which doesn't work, you know, you, you know, because everyone's taste is very different. You know, um, it's like when you get into somebody's car, um what level is there is the is the volume on their radio it, it's the same thing it's like some people listen to the radio really loud and they're fine and they like that and then some people you can barely hear what's going on and they're fine and they can still hear it it's that perception um uh and some people like tons of sub in their car and some people you know have the world's worst sounding radio <laughs> speaker combination and that's and that's their reference point like that's what they judge this the fidelity of music on so you, you there's a lot that goes into um trying to uh present a band sonically in a venue on a daily basis and that venue is changing on a daily basis to an average audience member like you know a sample set of that audience member and the idea is that we try and give everyone as close to having the same show as you know the same show uh, wherever possible the bigger the venue the more difficult that is the smaller the venue the more difficult that is because generally the smaller the venue you've got less stuff you've got less speakers pointing at the audience or the you know the thing might only be like nine feet tall so you know once you get like the fourth, fifth row, you can't hear anything because you've got bodies blocking speakers. But then you scale that up to something like the United Center where you've got, you know, five figures of people. Um, you need to be able to, every person in that venue has paid pretty much the same amount of money to see the same show. So you need to be able to deliver coverage, uh, speaker coverage, um, and also mix in such a way that it's, pleasing to the audience and jarring in a good way where required if you mix a show at the same level uh, and this kind of goes back to your point about your you know me saying that i'm changing things if you mix if you mix uh, a say a band's show is 90 minutes long if you mix at the same um sound pressure level db for 90 minutes if you if you mix it at a flat line by the end of those 90 minutes the audience will have zero interaction with what's going on because their ears have compressed they've got used to it 
so there's no impact so it's like it's it's like it's it's the air conditioning the air conditioner noise principle it's like you only really notice the air conditioner's on or off whenever it's on or off because you get that that change because your brain cancels it out and it's the same principle with 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 live shows um and you know technology is a lot better now than it was even 10 years ago um being able to actually accurately map out venues for speaker coverage um digital consoles that can do loads of automation and macros time code you know there's some shows that are out there that are so complicated and there's so many moves and cues that need to happen that it literally it starts and it stops and you've got you've got literally things going on in in both the monitor console and the front of house console that humans could not do <laughs> because that is the level that 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 the that the performer on stage or the show itself requires so yeah there's a there's a lot that goes into it that's the kind of stuff that gets me really excited i would love to <laughs> like i love it when shows are basically just like all run by a computer <laughs> i don't want it to be all run by a computer obviously because it's like oh it fucked up a little bit and now the entire show is off and everybody just go home but <laughs> Uh, I love the idea that like, you know, the lighting and the sound and, and uh, backing tracks and all that is like just run and, and all that. But I'm, I'm all, again, also saying that from a band that plays at bar and grills. So, like, <laughs> well, you, you know, you know what though? Like um, I, I don't, it doesn't really matter what size of venue the your band plays in now. Um, the, the, the reality is, is like the technology to be able to do your own monitors and that kind of stuff is now so affordable. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, you could go out to Guitar Center and buy like a thousand dollar Behringer X something, um, and some cheap in-ear monitors and some XLR cables, and you've got an in-ear rig. You got if you, and if you've got an iPad, you can just you've there you go. You're you're going. You know, stick it stick it in the van and go. And I've seen tours that do that. Um, the the kind of caveat with all of that is is that you know it, yes, you're replacing a person, um. And I guess I was going to kind of bring this up because, you know, um, this is kind of relevant to like things post, uh, post COVID, you know, um, the reality for me is, is that, you know, I lost, um, a, at least a year's worth of work, like overnight, it was insane. Um, and whenever we can go back to doing shows normally, um, I really hope that there is a good amount of, um, Kind of healthy respect between artists and and vendors and and, and crew because uh, you know people are going to try and do things leanly budget wise like that's a reality here because you know, and I get it I'm a I'm a business person I get it mm -hmm. but um, you you're not necessarily paying for the for the skill set at the time you're actually paying for the experience of being able to know what go you know what to do when everything's go wrong. Mm -hmm. And, and how to save the show. So it's a combination of the two. You know, um, anyone that has an iPhone can mix monitors on an X32 Behringer for whatever, in whatever size band that you work in. That's, that's, that's the easy bit. But what do you do when it goes wrong? If you have no engineering skills and you have no background in that sort of field, you're just going to look, everyone's going to look at each other and go, well, I guess we'll pack up and go home. And you can't do that if you're a, if you're a if you're a band or an artist trying that, that does this for a living. Mm -hmm. So anyway, that's a that's a sub rant. We'll 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 gloss over that. But <laughs> it's, uh, it's good to think about too. Like I'm wondering like where 
you know, a lot of industries are going to be looking for how they're going to save money. Now we, we actually did a, a, a thing with uh, the Metro in Chicago uh, about save our stages. And I don't know if this is a, Lizzie, you know more than I do about it, but I don't know if it's a global thing or if it's just a U.S. thing because it's it's very like uh, asking politicians about bailouts for venues and for people who work in venues, people who work in in music uh, in general. A lot of it is more national, like national, like nation. Yeah, wow, nationwide. Yeah. I haven't nation spoken national. a lot today. Nation, <laughs> you know, words words are hard, um, but it's nationwide more so here. I know in you know, other countries, they do have like Save Our Stages initiative for their local stages as well. Um, But I know at least here in the U.S., there's still a lot of legislation that's trying to be passed and people are still trying to get attention for stages. I know that Neva um, just posted like, hey, 90% of these venues aren't going to survive because I mean, here in Chicago, Lollapalooza finally got canceled. Mm -hmm. Thank God, first of all. (laughs) It's the right thing to do, but it does suck. Yeah, but, you know, with that, in regards to, you know, work for a lot of event people and people who do work in, like, audio engineering and stagehand, like, my best friend is a stagehand and audio engineer, and she pretty much was like Yuli. She lost everything overnight, and she's still trying to figure out what to do and what's going on even now, and it's, you know, we don't take into account those people when it comes to, like, the Save Our Stages initiative. And I feel like we do need to. I know that there's been some legislation in certain states throughout the U.S. that have finally allowed freelancers and contract workers to apply for unemployment. But again, unemployment's been backed up for months. At least here in Illinois, our our unemployment was supposed to run out by the end of May, and I still haven't heard any update about that. Um, with people still getting up to six hundred dollars on top of whatever they were originally offered to kind of subsidize the money that they're missing. Um, so for freelancers and contract workers, it's been even more difficult now to stay around even in this field, because I, I know there's a lot of people who are like, well, I guess I got to go get a normal nine to five if they can find it or, you know, get whatever they get at, you know, an essential worker place that's putting them even more at risk for coronavirus. Um, because it's just, nobody's getting paid out and nobody's taking into account that, you know, these workers have lost so much. And while there are some funds that go towards helping those individuals, again, contract workers, freelance workers are not going to have those same, you know, retributions as people who are employed by a certain music venue. And as we've seen, a lot of these people are freelancer contract workers. I mean, I started linking up trying to do freelance and event work too over the summer. And again, I had a bunch dispersed too, so I get it. Um, but I'm wondering in the UK, if you do know if there are any type of initiatives similar to it and is it, um, in any sort of beneficial towards people, um, you know, like you who do travel more so. Yeah. I mean, there are, uh, there are a number of, uh, resources for people in various different sort of, uh, parts of the industry, whether it's musicians themselves, um, or, uh producers engineers you know i mean if you think about how many sort of roles and sub roles et cetera et cetera that kind of encapsulate the entire music industry it's the um the impact is 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 pretty uh pretty crazy um there are a couple of bodies in the u k that are doing sort of like hardship funds 
uh, like help musicians um, and and music cares. Um, the Music Producers Guild uh, is doing some sort of um, sort of hardship fund. I mean, a lot of it is is sort of like you know uh, donation based kind of, and then it's it's got a sort of paid forward um, on a on like a on like a political level. Um, there are uh, some help for certain people in different circumstances, depending on whether you like own your own company or you're a contractor or you're like a freelancer. Um, and then there are some people that kind of kind of fit in between all of those and they just get nothing. So, you know, they've, they've literally lost a year's work and they get no help whatsoever. Um, and I, you know, like I have friends that are like, you know, that are higher risk because they have something like asthma, for example. So it's not as easy for them to be like, Oh, well, I'm just going to go work in a supermarket, uh, and, and try and earn, you know, some amount of money. The reality is where I live, um, all the part-time, short-term zero hour contract kind of stuff just disappeared. You know, I, I applied for about 10 jobs and I heard back from none of them. Um, literally. Um, and you know, I, I get it. They probably just don't have time to, to send people a, sorry, you weren't successful. Um, but the reality is, you know, that like, um, on my sort of, uh, it's not a podcast, it's kind of a podcast. It's not really a podcast. It's just kind of like a chat that I do twice a week on yeah. Zoom. But um, we were talking about this, uh, about like job snobbery. It's like people who would like, oh, I'd never do that. And now it's like, I would do that. <laughs> you know? um, and, you know, it, it it makes you, this whole thing makes you a lot, uh, very grateful for, for what you do have. Uh, I think that's kind of the summary of this whole thing. Yes, it's not ideal. Um, but um, you know, it, it it could be a lot worse for me and for my friends and family. Um, and we're 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 all going to get through this together in in various ways. Um, you know, with touring, your your touring colleagues are your surrogate family and friends for long periods of the year. And you you know, just because you're not in a tour bus or sharing hotels or whatever, it doesn't mean that you know we aren't keeping in touch with each other as much as possible because. Some people don't have a fam uh, you know, a large family to go home to, and if they do, they can't see them because they're maybe slightly elderly. Like, oh, you know, there's there's a there's a risk factor there. So people are like, well, I don't want to go and see my parents. I'm gonna I'm gonna shelter in place. But you know, I have a friend who, you know, a good friend that I was touring with this year who lives in Edinburgh, and he hasn't seen basically anyone for like nine weeks. You know, he's just been getting his groceries delivered, um, and he's been going out on his bike every day you know to get some exercise but that's kind of it and he, all of his like sort of social interaction has been through a webcam a microphone and a screen and you know as i joked earlier on this is kind of going to be like the new normal like going out and like hanging out with people is going to be strange like super strange i, I like and even doing a gig the idea of doing a yeah. gig like freaks me out it really does freak me out but uh but yeah i know on twitter there were some people um who were saying like because in certain states here um, have way less restrictions than at least here in Illinois and Chicago, which is terrifying to say the least because the coronavirus cases are still, you know, climbing up. And they were saying that, oh, I'm going to have this gig who would come and everyone's like, no, what are you talking about? 
Um, but I think I think it's going to be so strange because as soon as I think because everyone's saying, oh, by the end of the year, so end of December, you know, all this is going to go away. Not really, but okay. Um, so when it comes to literally, I think it's going to hit January and I think everyone is just going to go out and just be so like over like overstimulate themselves because they have been so depraved of you know having that human interaction I know even Brian and I were talking we're like well even if you know the restriction was lifted enough that like we could go to like our friends houses and like hang out like that'd be okay with us for right now um but I think you know as soon as we're able to have those larger events again even if it's in like a 200 capacity ideal I think people are just going to go and completely lose it and then I think our coronavirus cases are going to go back on. I mean I really hope not I mean my whole thing throughout this is that um I would much rather this was done right once yeah um I think I I I, I sort of I, I I am echoing a lot of my friends and colleagues uh, with that you know um the reality is um when you do arena shows you're in and around thousands of people on a daily basis uh, i mean I, I i mean i did an arena show on the 15th of march uh which is not that long ago you were like yeah, still that's... finishing up that tour right right around when everything started to shut down yeah that was that sort of weird period where our bus crashed and then we went ho- and then we went home for a week um and in the in over that week coronavirus the reality of coronavirus really started to like okay this is real like you know brace um and i flew back to london got all the gear back from sweden fixed everything up we went and did the o2 arena in, in london with halsey and um yeah like 4 days later i was flying back to belfast and then that was it like literally I haven't my pa- I've actually uh, weirdly like I put my backpack down I took my laptop out and I haven't looked at my backpack since the 16th of March and I looked at it yesterday because I was like where's my passport like I haven't needed to look for my passport for months and I got, was like oh freaking out I was like oh where's my passport and it's like it's there it's ex- it's literally there and then I was like I should probably wipe this down with like you know disinfectant wipes because you know I gave it to somebody you know and I was like um, yeah, so the reality of that the, the whole situation, we were doing that tour. We started in we started in Spain. We then went to uh, where were we? We're in Madrid. Then we went to Milan, Italy, and we kind of like literally we tr- we traveled we traveled through Europe um, all the way up to Scandinavia, kind of as things were unfolding. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we we did the, the the UK leg of the tour, and then. Uh, went home and then I've literally just been at home talking to my laptop ever since so (laughs) how was it to be like traveling through when it was starting to kind of like come out and like like you said unfold because I'm so interested to see because I know at least over here there's a bunch of people starting to say I'm not going to that show I'm just not going to go and we're just going to start to quarantine early but then I also saw a bunch of people say like fuck it it's not real and then just still go out to shows um up until it like at least our governor said, absolutely fucking not. We are done with this buffoonery. <laughs> yeah. The, I mean, whenever we were, we did the shows in, uh, where was it? We were in Stockholm. We went up to Finland. 
Um, and the easiest way to go from Stockholm, Sweden to, um, where were we? Helsinki, uh, Finland is to take a boat and you literally take a, you take a ferry through the, I, this is where I need my like green screen, like, like map. Uh, <laughs> and here. and, so uh, and uh, Sweden and I was going to go to Helsinki while I was living there and I was going to take that ferry and it's like a party ferry. <laughs> so yeah. It's the, it's the, the love boat or whatever they call it. Yeah. It's, it's like people just get on the boat, ride it over to Helsinki and then ride it back and they just get drunk on the, the ferry. So <laughs> yeah. So coronavirus. <laughs> yeah. So basically in, in the middle of coronavirus, we got it not once, but twice uh, with a show in between. Um, and, uh, you know, like me and Yappa, our uh, backline tag for Pill Waves, me and him were like drinking beers in a jacuzzi, like on this boat, you know, and, you know, everyone was eating breakfast and dinner en masse, like, you know, in, in on this boat. And then like a week later, we were all at home post-accident. We were like wow i mean okay like <laughs> we uh, there's a very good chance that we've probably had this mm -hmm. um so i i quarantined for two or three weeks basically when i got home um and i live with my partner and she did the same thing um and then but we've both kind of like still tried to like not leave the house much wherever we need to. And this is my whole thing. It's like, I, you know, this whole sheltering in place thing, yes, it's frustrating, but honestly, I'm, I'm, I just don't want to be in this situation again in like six months time because it's going to be tough to like get everyone back in and be like, no, yeah. really, like we got to do this again. Um, and I know people are frustrated, but it's it's definitely for the best you know let's try and do this right and be sensible and think about repercussions i think that's the thing like i don't i don't really people a lot of people the, the kind of people that want to like go out and like be normal are the people that are very short term they don't think about the long-term effects of these things um and uh but again that's a whole that's a that's a whole other podcast as well i, 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 I feel like i've been saying that a lot we're gonna get three episodes out of this yeah it's uh, fine but you are in like the uk so you're technically under boris johnson's rule yeah <clears throat> yeah oh <laughs> um no i agree with that so how has i know i just saw something i think it was yesterday or super early this morning where he was trying to ease back restrictions on coronavirus even though he himself got it which i was super shocked that he like just did not do like a quick 360 around the like yeah, quite Actually, a quite yeah, quite quite a few members of our um our government uh in Westminster, um as in England's government, that's what I'm gonna call it, because we actually have our own government in Northern Ireland. It's kind of it's kind of part of the uh there was basically a and I'm gonna have to say this not in my my mother tongue accent because everyone will laugh. There was a power sharing um agreement in in 97 where basically um there would be devolution so basically the uh there was sort of equal control over um policy making um and the relationship with the united kingdom etc cetera, etc cetera. so we have our own assembly of uh ministers and whatever so our Northern Ireland actually has different coronavirus lockdown laws and whatever than England does. 
and it's the same as Scotland and it's the same with Wales. Um, London is the epicenter, obviously, of, you know, <clears throat> excuse me, the, the cases and, and, and the highest death toll. It's such a, it's such a, uh, you know, a, a densely populated area as well. Um, England are loosening up the, 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 the lockdown, whereas Scotland and Northern Ireland are like, nope, <laughs> and, and nope, we're going to do our own thing. So, um, yeah, so we're in a different, we, so we, you know, if we watch something on the TV and Boris Johnson's like, you can go out and you can, you know, play football with your grandmother. no. We're not doing that, and neither is Scotland. And I think Wales. I don't know. I can't remember. I don't really. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, so it, that's confusing in itself. Um, and I've tried. I like. I I left Facebook when this whole thing started. I was. I just can't be in this. Like my friends arguing with each other about you know this type of coronavirus is worse than this type of coronavirus. And I'm like, just just no. I'm, delete like apps see yeah i'm i'm you know i'm i'm gonna pull the ripcord here i'm out um and uh so yeah where where you get your news from really becomes like a very important part of my day now it's like what is actually credible like what what is actually happening you know in the outside world so uh so yeah things are getting slightly more back to normal uh over here but um you know the reality is it's like uh I was reading something today where like there are schools that are reopening, but our school year is pretty much over. Like it ends like at the end of this month. So people are going to go back to school for like two weeks and then be all off all summer again and then start again in September. Um, And when they start again in September, it's still going to be socially distanced. So what's the point? But I also Uh, don't trust like children to wear a mask. (laughs) No, I mean, I have a really big beard, so it's really difficult to wear a mask because it doesn't actually work. So I end up doing a mask and then I wear like a buff, you know, like a, like a, it's kind of like a bandana. Yeah. So every time I go and do the groceries, like I look like I'm going to rob the place or, (laughs) or, or I'm going skiing. Like it's literally, it's, and people, and it's hot outside and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, it's a lot. So I just try not to go outside if I don't have to, if I'm being honest, like I'm at that point where I, you know, I just, I just, I want to get back to work. I want to get back to doing shows and, you know, um, give, you know, being part of that thing that get, you know, the people like pay their hard earned money to go and, you know, have a good time. You know, I want to be part of that and, you know, make sure people get, a, you know, get what they're paying for. The, the issue with, with the way that things are going to go is, is that the margins on doing socially distanced gigs, reduce capacity gigs, drive through, you know, whatever gigs, you know, but people are going to have to pay as much money as they were for less. It, you know what I mean? Yeah. And I, th- and you know, I think that, that it's a novelty in a way that will last for a while, but let's be honest, nobody's going to go to like drive through gigs in November mm-hmm. or December. Um, and also I couldn't even imagine, like I, I, I was in, I was in Chicago, uh, not last summer, but the last summer before for Lala and I literally nearly melted. I could not imagine doing like doing a drive through gig anywhere in that heat. Like <laughs> you just got a load of cars with their air conditioners, like full blast, everyone just running their engines. Like that's like a greenhouse gas nightmare. Yeah. <laughs> Like nobody's thought of, nobody thinks about that. You know what I mean? It's like, uh, anyway. 
That was something uh, they're going to try to do some drive through uh, movies now in Chicago. Now that all this stuff is canceled, they're like, all right, let's let's find ways. Let's try to uh, maybe even have like uh, some concerts happening on some stages here, but it's primarily just the musicians. And then they have it like broadcast to a larger audience from there as a way of like kind of with the Save Our Stages thing, trying to bring some attention to it, trying to bring some money to them and at least like you know giving something back to the community because we are now canceling a bunch of other stuff and like i i I do agree with you it'll be a novelty at first but it will also be like yeah just logistically having all those cars in one place or logistically like having a concert with a bunch of bands like over and over again like oh we have this one artist in chicago they played on this stage okay well that was yours now see in another like seven months and the artist is like cool well i got a little bit of money from that I think people would be willing to pay for like the one concert to be like, Hey, support these artists, support these venues, give some money back to the community. But then they're going to be like, well, okay, I, I did it. So I'm not doing it again. Like I'm not. Yeah. Interested in- yeah. I, I know it's the, um, it's like the DVD principle. Like you ever buy a DVD of a band, like their live DVD, Oh yeah. you know, chances are they didn't put that gig on just to shoot that DVD. And it's kind of the equivalent of this. It's like, Nobody would do that. Nobody would put that amount of production into a venue, hire a dozen cameras, feed all those people, et cetera, et cetera, and then shoot it so that they could spit it out on DVDs so that you would watch once and then it would live on your shelf for the rest of time. That's kind of what this is going to end up being. People pay a lot of money. Artists themselves pay a lot of money to put together a production that is a a show it's a proper show and the only way that you get to experience it properly is if you go and see it and also to make it economically viable to put that much money and effort into a show they need to recoup that and that takes a while mm-hmm. so you know if you if you do this if you do the numbers it doesn't make sense you know to to produce a a quality output show and do it like once the, the all the DVD sales in the world is, you know, it's not, it's not going to pay for that. You know what I mean? Like, especially, you know, we live in a society now where things like media, whether it's music or video or whatever, we're kind of used to sort of, um, we're kind of used to, uh, essentially paying a minimum to, for the most amount of stuff. You know, it's, it's kind of crazy to think that, um, the idea I was talking to somebody recently about, yeah, burning CDs. Like I remember buying like um, CDs in in a store and then ripping them onto my little MP3 player or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and I still have all those CDs and I won't ever throw them away because it's like I paid like 10 pounds for that CD. <laughs> you know, um, I can't remember the last time I bought a record. And that's really bad for somebody for me, like me that works in the industry. Um, I do try to, uh, cut out middle people when it comes to like local independent artists that I like, I would rather like drive to their house and post money through their letterbox. <laughs> like I would, I would much rather do that, you know? Um, cause I've, I've, I've toured with artists on both sides of that. I've toured with the bands that literally need that t-shirt sale to break even so that they have enough like money to get to that next city. Um, and I've also done tours where they're turning over like six figures on Merchant Night, you know, and that is what actually is making the money on the tour. Like the tour is making money, but t-shirts, 
Like that's where the money is. Yeah. And in this situation, what are what are people going to do? Pre-order merch, like click and collect, like curbside pickup merch at drive-in gigs. Like that's that's in, impossible. Like it, you can barely manage merchandise on a table with people. <laughs> like, and, and that's not a slight to to people that work in merchandise. It's difficult, especially if you work on a tour where that is a big part of it. If if uh, there's a lot of merch and their their turnover is high like you know i've done i did a tour not that long ago that had a like literally like a like a like a an art what do you call them semi of just merch oh yeah like like floor to ceiling to the end and it got it got topped up periodically through the tour as well um and that's a big income stream you know and you can't really do that on a drive through basis um and you know socially distanced as well if you cut down the capacity, your your per head, you know, um, take on terms of merch sales is going to be so low. It's not going to make sense. You know, it's just not going to be economically viable. So it is that thing where I'm I'm not being pessimistic. I am just being trying to be really pragmatic about the scenarios. Um, and uh, I really do feel for small venues. You know, I've done extensive touring of small venues in the U.S. And I know probably I'm pretty certain that the next time I go there, a lot of them won't be there after all of this. That's kind of where I'm at. Um, and that really sucks. Um, and, and, you know, those are those people, the people that work there and the, and the venues themselves are like total, like they're institutions on their own, you know, in terms of like, especially for, for artists from the UK, you know, it's expensive to tour in the U S if you're coming from the UK. Um, or elsewhere in Europe, you know, even just in terms of visas, uh, it's a big old country. So getting around is expensive. Um, you know, so you got to tour hard and do a lot of shows to, to make it work. Um, so any, any U S touring I've ever done has just been like show, 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 maybe a day off show, 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 fly to Mexico for one show, fly back to Toronto, show, 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 you know? And, um, and I love that. Don't get me wrong. But, you know, there's a there's a reason why those tours happen like that. And it's the only way to make them economically viable. And if you have to do the same amount of shows as as we were like two years ago, but with like a third of the attendance, it just doesn't make sense. Yeah. Um, so I'm not like, you know, I'm not raining on anyone's parade, you know, in terms of like them being the sort of in, inducing positivity. Uh, out of out of this kind of very bad situation across the board, but um, I don't think there is really a lot of sort of the pragmatic sort ofness of it being talked about. You know, especially because it means that hey, you're going to do a drive-through gig. You don't need a front of house engineer then because you got no speakers. <laughs> you're gonna you're gonna have somebody at the side of the stage with a thousand dollar Behringer X32 yeah. and an iPad and an and a and an FM transmitter they bought off Amazon. Um, and it's like, cause that's, that's all they can afford to do. You know what I mean? It's like, I get it, but when it goes wrong, what are you going to do? You're going to have to, you're going to have to go around and post refunds through people's windows. Like, oh you know, cause they're not going to move. Like, well, I want my money. I'm not going to like, I'm like, I am staying well, in my car until I get my too, money. You back. might just be like right here, right here, right here. You're like, all right, now I have to wait. 
yeah, exactly. Yeah, they're they're gonna, they're gonna block in all the all the production crew until they get they get their refund. Um, but I I am actually potentially doing one um, next month. Um, so I'm uh, I'm really curious to see how it goes. As uh, great, there's a great team working on it, and it will be done properly. Um, but yeah, it's it's just you know this is totally uncharted territory for for people like us. Um, but we are generally a group of people that are about solutions. So let's try and come up with a solution to make this uh, viable right now. And then kind of in the background, we can kind of work on trying to get things back to normal uh, for some point next year. Um, so yeah, it's crazy. I like that. That's a positive way to... To look at everything. Look at, yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, yeah, I, I am very concerned about all the venues that are going to be lost here in Chicago, which it, it feels like we were at a point where it was starting to become more of a thing that they were pushing for donations. Uh, Subterranean had a, uh, a GoFundMe that was up that was doing fairly well, but then that was right before uh, all these protests started happening where other uh, organizations were asking for donations and those donations needed to go to something that is going to be a bigger thing for the future of our country, the future of the people of our country. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. So of course that money needs to be diverted from some of these funds to the other places, but with so much happening and so much like funds being, being needed in so many different places and with so many people out of work without, without the ability to give those funds, it's like, geez, we're like, it's just, everything seems fucked from every end. So I yeah. think this is where people are starting to realize that everything really does run in a cycle. And like mm-hmm. Lee said earlier, where people would be like, oh, I'm, I would never work that job. And now they're like, oh, I need to work that job. I'll yeah. take whatever you can get. I think this is the wake up call. A lot of those types of people needed to kind of bring them back down to earth in a sense. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's like, if you know, if you're working a white collar job and then like, oh, well, you don't have a job anymore. Now you got to go work at a supermarket and be an actual essential worker and deal with like, you know, everything that we put out on Twitter, like, oh, we're dealing with this Karen over here. No, I'm talking in I general. A job that I no longer have, Lizzie. How dare you? Uh, listen, I've never had a white collar job in my entire life. I mean, look, <laughs> don't know how it feels. <laughs> I'm not like stoked on having a white collar job but there are a lot of benefits to it. Right. But you've also <laughs> never been like, Oh, I can't believe like people work uh, like that. I'm talking about people who are oh, like, no, 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 I've, yeah, no, you're not like that. But it's like what Lee was saying, like people just turn up their nose to those types yeah. of jobs and people it's like, you know, that's kind of the wake up call some people needed because now they're also being like, Oh, like I'm fucked too for once. Yeah. And like, it doesn't feel good. It's like, no, it's not. <laughs> it hasn't felt good for a long time. <laughs> sorry i was just just going to say something you just reminded me though that um that wake-up call line is kind of perfect because um i have i've only ever had one what i would call normal job and it was when i was 16 and it was for two months and ever since then i'm 29 now i have i went through university i worked for my university and like as like a technical kind Mm -hmm. of you know person in their tech services department for, for a couple of years while I was there on a very like, you know, peripatetic fashion, you know, it wasn't like a full-time job. Um, I've never had a real job. So, you know, if you take, if you take my CV and you redact everything that, um, that is to do with working in music, 
I have an address, a date of birth, a passport, and a degree, and that's it. Um, so I'm grossly underqualified for pretty much everything is what I kind of went through. And that's a strange thing. Like I was, you know, I was looking at jobs where I was like, okay, that sounds kind of cool. Like it's a diff very, it's, it's kind of, you know, it's, it's either like in it or programming or whatever. And then it's like, you need this. And I'm like, yeah, I don't have that (laughs) at all. Um, and it's like, oh, you, you know, it's that whole thing, like to get experience, you know, you need to do the job. So it's that, it's that kind of weird, uh, I don't know, I don't know what the term is, but it's like a, it's a, it's a feedback loop, not, no pun intended. You know, you, um, you, you can't get, how am I going to get experience in something like that in the middle of a pandemic? You know, even if I wanted to, you know what I mean? It's, it's crazy. So, um, and there are a lot of people that have been doing this for a lot longer than I have. Um, and I, I am not unique in this scenario. I know people that work in uh, music, in management, uh, facilitation, people who write score, uh, people who are photographers, videographers, um, people who work in theater. Like, you know, the there's so many sort of, it's so multifaceted. And they're all the same. They're like, well, I've been doing this for 15 years. And I, you know, I had a customer service job for like two weeks once. And then they're like trying to apply for jobs. And there are people that are technically more qualified getting those jobs because, you know, they, they don't, you know, it's a very unique scenario where everyone's just kind of like, just, you know, we're, 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 we're putting the, uh, we're putting the boards up on the theaters and the venues like this is not happening. Um, and it's, yeah. It, it, and I went through a very strange sort of process of like, well, do I regret making that decision? Maybe I should have went and studied law because if I was a lawyer, I'd be making a killing right now, probably. Um, you know, or I'd done something else, but that passes. I was like, no, I don't regret my decision. That's a that's a very narrow-minded way of looking at this entire scenario. Um, but you know, it's 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 a strange time. Like you're going to go through a whole range of emotions <laughs> on various on various different you know things. So, um, but yeah, you, you're right though. Like it's it's strange when you actually peel back uh, everything that you've done for like ten years and realize that if you take away everything that's very niche, you got nothing. Yeah, <laughs> which is really weird. Me. That reminded me, I actually used to be on um, a debate team in college, uni, and there was a girl who was there and she was like our lead captain person. And she straight up told me to my face um, because I was working like three jobs when I was in college, plus like school and everything. And she's dead ass said to me, oh, I couldn't work a sales job. She just did like, um, I think just like something like grocery or like retail. And she's like, I can't do that. That's too menial of work for me. I was like, excuse me (laughs) and i know now i think she's like hr somewhere like handling like internships and i'm like i don't know if i would trust you handling (laughs) the youth like that but (laughs) that kind of reminded me because you know there's a lot of people again like you said like out there who have experienced this kind of like cycle of like oh you need more experience to do this well i have experience in this can it be or as my where i'm getting my master's degree they're like your transferable skills it's like why can't you take that and they're like no it's not concretely what we are asking for within the same division it's similar but it's not what we fully want I think it's in like a bad way it's nice to see people 
finally seeing it from the perspectives of like people who are like newly graduated or like still trying to break into an industry, whatever it may be, be like, now, you know what you've been telling us, oh, you'll just get it. It'll be fine. And you know, it's like, okay, no, now you actually do get it. Cause you're experiencing it, experiencing it now. And it's not fine. And we need to change the way that this system works. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, absolutely. And, and, I, and I think one of the reasons why I set up the ground loop was to try and um, create some sort of uh, unity and parity between um, people who have been doing this for a, a period of their life, uh, whether they're in the kind of in the middle of an arc or they've been doing it for 30, 40 years and they're kind of like nearing retirement in their brain or they've just graduated from like a university like I did. And like, I can't even imagine what it would be like if I was like, you know, coming out of my degree and this all happened, you know, it, 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 I wouldn't know what to do. So I kind of tried to um, sympathize and empathize at the same time with a, a whole range of people within the industry. And that's why I wanted to basically get everyone in a virtual room and all talk about the same thing. So in the sense of it doesn't matter if you've been doing it for five years, 15 years or five minutes, everyone is in the exact same position right now. So this is the time to ask those questions that to other people that you because you, you know, when else would you ever get the chance to either see these people or ask these questions and actually try and learn from each other? Um, so that's been really interesting. And, you know, for me, it's given me like a thing that I do twice a week that's semi-structured and it's you know beyond that like you know i'm so used to a either being told by somebody else what's going on on a daily basis or having like an app that just like shouts at me going oh you're doing you're in this city today and you're in this city tomorrow uh time to eat lunch or dinner uh <laughs> did you brush your teeth honest honestly and and then you go home and i go through this period of like two weeks of like well i live here uh, I, I mean, I need to go and get some stuff for the fridge. Um, and now I'm like, oh, I mean, I, I haven't, I haven't spent this much time at home in a long time. Um, you know, I put my suitcase away. I haven't done that for like five or six years. Like genuinely, like my suitcase stays down because it's like, well, I'm going to need it in like a week. So I'll not put it in the attic. And it's been there since like the 20 something of March. Uh, it's got, it's got cobwebs on it already. And that's weird. And I know that's, we it's weirdly, weirdly symbolic for me, but it's like, I live out of that. I live out of that thing. I live out of my suitcase and I live out of my backpack. I have not used that backpack since I landed. Uh, I got in from the airport the day I flew home. Um, and it's still got my boarding pass and all that kind of stuff. It's just really weird symbolism within this. And it's like, wow. Um, but again, it's it's a unique thing in some ways. You know, um, this this entire pandemic uh, is going to affect everyone in different ways. Uh, either whether it's the industry you work in, um, you know, and I and I and I sympathize with anyone that's been affected by it um, very much. Um, and I really hope that there is a support network for the people who can't go back to work whenever things get normal or quote unquote normal, because uh, our normal is not going to be until like this time next year. That's kind of my my pragmatic hot take on this whole thing. I feel uh, like that's a realist. Yeah, that's a pretty realistic hot take. <laughs> yeah. I've seen some bands rescheduling their stuff for like early next year, like Foxy Shazam's uh, 
sh- reunion show, return <laughs> show is now January 30th. And I'm like, isn't that a little early? <laughs> like, I mean, I, I, yeah, I, I mean, I have a, I think I have a, some, I have something in my calendar for November, uh, in the UK. Um, and I, I have friends that have stuff from January onwards. Uh, and all of us are just kind of like keeping in touch with each other, even just like trying to find out what other bands are doing. You know, we're just talking to each other, like one-on-one, you know, on a sort of a, not on a secret hush-hush kind of thing, but we're, you know, we're keeping it, you know, we're keeping it, uh, confidential if you, if you will. But, uh, yeah, because that's the thing we, you know, this, this, it it's changing it's not well it's not changing quickly at the minute but for a for a long time this was like a, a on a daily basis things were changing it's like okay we're rescheduling to next week okay it's next month okay no it's cancelled and this is within like three days yeah. and then for the past couple of months really now i say months we haven't really heard that much um and you know we i'm getting i'm getting notices of cancellations of gigs via instagram like that's, that's how, that's how, that's how quickly they're happy, you know, it's happening. And, you know, by the time I get an email from somebody, it's like, oh, so, you know, uh, this is not happening. And I was like, yeah, I saw an Instagram 32 minutes ago. <laughs> like, it, you know, it's cause that's, that's, that's the reality of, it is. you know, that that's the reality of, uh, of how we, how we ingest, you know, things now it's like, oh, somebody's tweeted about something. Oh, somebody's posted a photo about something. Um, and then you get an email, which, you know, a, a pigeon delivered, you know, um, <laughs> because of the time difference. Um, so at this point, I'm just trying to stay positive um, and it, it'll, it'll happen when it happens. Like, and, and that's as vague as I can kind of make it because uh, anything else is speculation. And there's so much sort of like um, hysteria of people speculating about, you know, how gigs are going to happen or whatever. It's like there's no point speculating about things that nobody really has an answer for um, until somebody, until somebody like Live Nation or a massive artist goes, okay, we're back. It's it. Unfortunately, somebody or a, or or a set of people are going to have to make a big leap to to sort of show everyone else that it's like okay so if they're doing it we're we're back to normal like cuz that's kind of what happened on the other end you know whenever live nation said we're shutting down tours from this day onwards that was the last day of that tour that I was doing and that was a live nation tour so it's like if we had been if that had been one day later i i would have been going home you know, that would have been the, that. So we literally finished the tour. They put everything in the trucks and then everything shut down. And as soon as they did that, that was like, okay, the rest of the music industry basically followed suit. Um, so, uh, yeah, because nobody wants to be responsible for, you know, um, you know, furthering the problem of a pandemic. Um, and that's why it's like, well, if, if the average person out there that is, you know, annoyed because they can't get wood or nails from a hardware store, um, so, so they're going to go out and do it and potentially be asymptomatic or whatever. It's like priorities Mm -hmm. that that's it that, you know, there's a shop near where I live that sold out of hot tubs a week and a half after lockdown. 
and I live in Northern Ireland. And again, the next time we do one of these, I will green screen this and I will show. <laughs> we, we get like four days of summer a year and we had, we, we've had them all like literally for the past two weeks, it's just been raining. Um, literally lockdown happened and there was like a hardware store near my house that had a sign that was like, we don't have any hot tubs. Uh, people were buying hot tubs because they're like, well, we can't leave the house now. So let's buy a hot tub um, in Northern Ireland. It's like, I don't know, seven degrees outside right now. And it's June. Like, <laughs> I mean, are you going to need that later? After, yeah. Like if everything reopens. Yeah. Like, yeah. Oh, yeah. 2021. 20, there's going to be loads of, there's Yeah. The Facebook marketplace is going to be flooded with secondhand hey, you're hot tubs. You're going to be able to get that cheap hot tub <laughs> and have four great days of parties. And we, we 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 thought about it, and we were like, "Well, we've got no room for it." So um, I'm a massive Simpsons fan, so I was like, "Oh, what we just need to buy is a pair of jacuzzi shoot uh, jacuzzi suits, which are like these weird like plastic things that you just put bubbled water into, and you just sit there on your couch." Yeah, basically the same thing. Um, but yeah, so. Um, it priorities it's like um i really hope that people maintain that it's like just because we can go out and see more people and do some more things doesn't mean that we we're back to normal we are so far away from being back to normal um and yeah i can't even imagine what it would be like to then find out on a global level back inside everyone like you know recess is over uh <laughs> I can you can you imagine like really can you imagine um, no I can't imagine here because even now like we have opened like outdoor seating and the area that I live in I live in the suburbs of Chicago it's completely packed with people and it just looks terrifying I don't want to go anywhere near it so I think to try and wrangle in those people it's not going to happen and it's going to be the same dialogue of well it's not me. I don't care. I'm not, you know, older. I'm not immunocompromised. It's going to be the same. It's going to be a, just a repeat. You know, when we say history repeats itself because nobody pays attention is literally happening in front of our eyes on multiple <laughs> levels. And we are still just not learning from it in real time. It's truly astounding. <laughs> I saw an article and I, I I'm going to, I'm going to take the theory of the article, but I'm going to say it in my own words, which is America goes from zero to fuck it really quickly. Like we don't care what you're telling us to do. We've been inside for, I mean, 10 days. Like America's just like, Nope, I'm over it. I can't do this. I, I need to get outside. I need to go do something. So like, I, I do feel that there are people in unfortunately government who are like, well, we want to give you like some compromise here. And it's like, there's no need to compromise if you're going to say after being inside for three months, you can now go outside and then everything gets worse. And now we're, everybody's back inside and like that, that f time frame of how long they're going to want to stay inside until they start rioting on the steps of, of the Capitol buildings again is like going to be even shorter. And like the, that speed from zero to fuck it is just going to go so much faster because Americans are, if anything, not patient and not uh, realistic. <laughs> I don't know how it is in the UK, but America is. Uh, well, uh, you know, it, it, it's one of those things where we, um, you know, culturally, uh, one of the biggest, biggest differences, obviously, is, is population. 
Like, um, but you have to remember that per capita, the UK at one point during this whole thing was the worst for deaths and infection rate over the US at one point. Um, because the way our government handled locking down and everything really badly at the beginning. I mean, I am a perfect example. I was flying around, taking boats, <laughs> sitting in jet, you know, jacuzzis, you know, in in early March. Yeah. Um, and I will admit, I will, I will put my hand up. I was like, at one point, I was like, nah, this is gonna be like, this'll be fine. Like uh, my naivety now, like in 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 retrospect, was but uh you know at one point i was like nah this this will this will pass you know um it it's not going to it's not going to impact uh you know us as much as it's going to impact anywhere else and obviously like it's a it's terrible like there's that's never been you know uh, a, a thought otherwise but i was like nah this won't affect us and then like a week later it was like well you know we were just in this in this uh we were just in Italy and yeah, it's in Italy. And then it's like, oh, we're up in the, in, you know, Scandinavia. And it's like, oh, it's gone into Germany now. And, and like, I, I you know, we flew from Stockholm back to London, London to Belfast. I was home for a week, Belfast, London, London, Dublin, Dublin, London, London, Bel- like literally like, I, I mean, I just fly for a living. I literally fly for a living, you know, most of the time, but you know, even the amount of airports, like Heathrow airport, uh was like normal airport but with some extra hand sanitizer like th- that was all it was and that was like mid mid march uh and then it was like a week later or whatever they locked everything down uh, so there was yeah our government's been heavily criticized for the way that they handled it on, on at the beginning of all of this um same yeah uh, and uh and they're still being criticized They've been criticized, and as far as, in my opinion, rightfully so, throughout the way that throughout the way that they've handled this has been ridiculous. Um, you know, there's no question about the fact that you know a lockdown was a good idea at the time, um, and I think anyone that disagreed really needs to like read a book um, about the realities of a pandemic. Um, but it's it's it, you know it's systemic. It's like these the you know the people that were like oh I'm not I I'm going to do whatever I want. I don't care about no virus. Um, in in the UK are the same people you know that um, whenever uh, like there was a, it was the V Day which was like a national holiday, they were out congaing in the street. Like this was like a month after lockdown and people were co- like in conga lines in their like streets with their neighbors and families and friends um you know and they're the people that are saying that anyone that is out you know protesting at the minute you know are the reason why everything's going to shit in the uk it's like yeah but you were out like dancing with your neighbors like a month ago when when we had the biggest spike like come on uh and it, and it's so frustrating you know um protesters being fined for uh, contravening social distancing laws because our government's brought in sub sort of bylaws that, you know, if you couldn't justify why you were in a certain place or whether you were driving somewhere or you were breaking the two meter thing or you were in groups of over six people, they, they would fine you. Um, and, you know, 
IKEA reopened in in Belfast and it was there was like the queue was like a mile long and everyone was like this far away from each other and then a week later um there was a, a like a properly organized uh demonstration socially distanced like the organizers in Belfast went around they measured out two meter spaces of distance on the floor put x's with like gaffer tape so that everyone was two meters apart and during this during this demonstration um and protest the police were going around with a mask on just writing people up with fines oh my god so like in a strange twist in this whole thing like there was like a bailout fund for people that were basically either arrested or fined for protesting in Northern Ireland, um, uh, yeah, at, at the at, at the end of last week, um, because it stems from vagity within our government's handling of this whole thing. They've kind of gone, well, we strongly suggest that you don't go outside, and if you do have to go outside, you shouldn't be anything less than two meters apart from each other, which is exactly what everyone did. But they were like, ah, yeah, but this is a this is a mass gathering, which is illegal. So we're going to fine you all, uh, or arrest you. So it's you know, and it's like, well, where were you finding people dancing in their streets with their elderly neighbors? Yeah. Like, you know, literally, you're killing people. Like, anyway, it's uh, it's one of those things where anytime I speak to anyone, any of my friends in the U.S or any of my friends that live in different parts of the UK, we're all going through a very similar thing, but in just different ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and the there is a definite sort of, I, I just wish, I, I hope that there is definitely like, out of everything, uh, some sort of like humanity uh, top up, like everyone like starts to actually look out for each other uh, more, because um, if we are, going to be in this kind of strange kind of uh, state of semi-normality for for any extended period of time beyond this we're going to have to really look out for each other because uh you know my mental health's taken a plummet from being indoors for three months um when i'm used to like traveling you know and seeing people every day and you know and that constant motion you know is is, is really important um so yeah, so th- again, that's kind of why I did my thing. I set up that thing, the ground loop, so that I could keep in touch with people, kind of on mass, so that everyone kind of felt like they had something to like go to, you know, like like showing up for bus call or showing up for like lobby call at a hotel. It's the same kind of thing. It's like nine p.m. Wednesday, Saturday, be there. Let's talk about some stuff, and then an hour and a half later, we're done. Uh, and it, yeah, it works works really really good. So yeah. Uh, so we're at about an hour and a half into the recording. Um, I, I don't know if you want to promote the ground loop as like anybody can come and join if they would like to, like, is it, is it that yeah. kind of a Zoom call? Yeah, absolutely. It's, um, it's Instagram.com forward slash the ground loop, all one word. Um, and yeah, so basically I've just been like sharing, uh, resources for, uh, anyone who works in the audio engineering sort of industry within the music industry and and beyond it's not it's not exclusive but you know it's it's things that are sort of applicable to people who work in the industry that have been 
really affected directly by um, everything that's going on. Um, and also, yeah, I do this uh, sort of Zoom hangout on a Wednesday and a, on a Saturday. Um, at ni- It's 9 p.m. my time, so BST. So depending on where you are, it'll change. But um, 3 p.m. our time. Yeah, 3 p.m. your time. So it, it doesn't always work. I, I've tried to do it in such a way that I can kind of... Um, get people in the US, get people on eat both coasts and in the UK that's not too late because people have kids and you know and all that kind of stuff. And all the people that are used to touring you're, are now like actually able to look after their small children. So you know they're like, I, yeah, I gotta go. I gotta go feed my baby or whatever. So uh so yeah uh, Instagram.com forward slash the ground loop. And yeah um I I've kind of I I I kind of took my foot off the gas for a week. Um I was just trying to 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 step back from everything a little bit for the past week, um, and yeah, and you know, read up on what's really going on uh, in in you know in the outside world right now, um, and you know, I would obviously encourage anyone to uh, do the same thing, and if they can, to put money in the right places at this current time. Um, we just, we just talked about it. You know, there's, there's, there's one of those things where the diversion of funds between things. Um, but I, I, but I feel like, you know, uh, as fellow human beings, we should really look out for each other, uh, regardless of, you know, what it's for, you know, let, let's, let's be realistic about what's going on in the world right now and, and try and help out in any way that we can. Um, so yeah, if if you want to come and hang out and talk about microphones on a Wednesday or Saturday, come come join the Ground Loop. Uh, weirdly, we don't really talk about like shop. We call it shop. Like we we don't really. T- it, it's more of a. It's just uh, just it's just talking about normal things, which is something that people who tour for a living don't really do. We're kind of weirdly insular people. Like you know we 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 do our things, and we whenever we leave. Uh, the tour or whatever we go off and we live a normal life and we don't really speak to each other so this is weird you know it's like we're actually communicating more than we did whenever we were you know bunk mates on a bus you know what i mean so um so yeah it's been really really good nice do you think that if people are trying to uh make their zoom calls sound better that they would get some value out of it my god uh, I, I don't know. I mean, um, I, I, I think I've only just about sorted out mine. It's only taken three months. Um, uh, I would say that the, um, the worst offenders for zoom calls for me have been AirPods. Uh, I would, I would, and I had a pair and I actually really liked them for the convenience, but I would not recommend using AirPods as in the wireless versions for, uh, zoom calls. For some reason, they just don't work very good. Um, uh yeah i think that's about it really like you know uh if you want to come and come and talk about you know normal things with engineers um and maybe learn some stuff like that yeah that's the kind of place to go but yeah if anyone wants any tips and on how to make their zoom calls sound better uh, we can try i mean uh (laughs) i still haven't i still haven't figured out the video thing yet so maybe maybe for the next the next one volume two of this uh, i'll maybe have maybe have a better i'll maybe have a better camera so yeah we'll also have the green screen too just for added effect like yeah green screen the map i'm gonna i'm gonna get on it don't worry (laughs) i'm gonna get on it awesome uh well then we'll close up the recording of the podcast there um 
no one's really chatting at the moment, but you know, maybe they will. And we'll stick maybe they'll come Twitch back and uh, talk to us for a few more minutes. Uh, so Lee just wanted to say thanks again for being on the pod and no problem at all. My pleasure. Uh, I hope that anybody who's listening, who is in a band, uh, respects their engineer and the person who's doing the sound for them because, uh, they're probably more important than how just your guitar sounds. And yes, that is a thing that I personally have experienced with guitarists where I'm like, shut up about your guitar. <laughs> Worry about how the band's... Anyway, that's a personal thing. And I'm going to play our outro song <laughs> so that I stop talking about <laughs> our my personal stuff. Uh, yeah, so thanks again, Lee, for joining us. And My pleasure. Uh, from all of us here at the Emo Social Club podcast... Uh, I am Brian. I am Lizzie. I'm going to get this timed out just right. And goodbye.